I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, we're continuing with the Historical Mentors series, and instead of focusing on women who have impacted me, women from Christian history, I want to highlight three very unique couples. There are so many men who have pioneered the gospel in remote areas and gone through amazing suffering in order to bring the message of Christ around the world, and so often those men had wives that were just as committed to following down the narrow way of the cross and giving up everything for the cause of the gospel. So when you combine a husband and a wife, who has that commitment, that willingness to not just talk about making Christ our life, but actually make him our life, it is really, really powerful to see the result. So the three couples I want to focus on in this episode are Brother Andrew and his wife, Corey, Richard and Sabina Wormbrandt, and Don and Carol Richardson. So if you're not familiar with any of those, we're just going to highlight moments from their stories. And these couples have impacted me. And the reason that I feel like they are unique, the reason I'm calling them unique, is because most married people, and I can definitely attest to this, it's just really easy to get caught up in just providing for your own needs and raising your own family and kind of putting radical living for Christ off to the sides. Like, well, I'm just kind of settled down now. But all three of these couples, they never let go of that radical devotion to Christ to say, I will follow the Lamb wherever He leads, no matter what it costs. And that is what makes them unique and so impactful. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that from now until December 15th, we have some great Christmas specials going on at Set Apart. If you're looking for ways to bless the women your life with Christ-centered gifts. There are book bundles that are geared for teens. There are book bundles geared for women, magazine bundles, and discounts on some of our most popular online courses, and even a bundle for the men in your life. So this is a great time to stock up on meaningful Christmas gifts. And you can just go to setapart.org to find out more about the specials or just click the link in this podcast description. It's also a great time to gift registration to the Set Apart Conference, which is happening in June of 2024. And our theme for this coming year is He is is experiencing the extraordinary reality of Jesus. We have a discount happening right now for our early bird special, so that also makes a really special gift, a mother-daughter trip or a sister getaway or a friend getaway. It's just a really meaningful way to spend a weekend. We'd love to see you in Colorado and invest into your spiritual life through that event, or you can stream the conference from anywhere you are via simulcast. So let's talk about these three couples. So the first couple we're going to highlight are Brother Andrew and his wife, Corey. Brother Andrew was a Dutch Christian, and he has an amazing story where throughout like the 50s and 60s, I believe it was, he would smuggle Bibles into countries that were behind the Iron Curtain. Usually they were controlled by like communism or a government that wouldn't allow Bibles or had a lot of persecution or just control over the churches. And sometimes he would find these churches that didn't even have Bibles, pastors that didn't even have Bibles. And so he figured out ways to get Bibles in their languages and smuggle them across the border. He has so many amazing, miraculous stories of getting past guard stations and really putting a lot on the line to get these Bibles into these closed countries. And that was his ministry. But his wife, Corey, was so on board and so committed to this work as well. Their story is captured in the book, God's Smuggler. And that's an amazing book to read if you haven't read it yet. 
but she was just as willing to constantly lay her husband on the altar to get messages of hope and encouragement and get scripture into those remote churches that were cut off from the rest of the world. And there are stories in that book about pastors who haven't had a Bible for years trying to lead their church. And when a Bible finally gets to them, they just have tears streaming down their face in gratitude. And just that alone, just that one aspect of the book convicts me and reminds me never to take the word of God for granted. We can so often do that, just sort of forget the fact that it is truly a privilege to have unlimited access to the Bible. But their ministry was really amazing. They got to the point when God had miraculously provided a fixer-upper house for them to live in because they were very much dependent on God for their income, for their living. And they had a couple of children. She had one on the way. And they had a need for 5,000 pocket Bibles to get them into Russia for people who desperately needed them. They didn't have the funding, and they looked at the cost for printing these Bibles, and it came to $15,000. And Brother Andrew had learned how to trust God for small amounts of money or getting him past these dangerous borders. When he was in Bible school, he had to trust God even for toothpaste and shaving cream because God was teaching him dependence on him. But when it came to $15,000, that was more money than he had ever seen at one time and just thought, I don't know how God's going to provide this. But he began to pray and he sat down with Corey, his wife, one night and asked, how much do you think our house is worth? And an excerpt from the book said, Corey did not answer me. She just stared our house, Andy, right when we're expecting a new baby. And then Corey's face had gone white. Maybe God doesn't want us to have those pocket Bibles. Maybe the very slowness is guidance. And then they kind of ended that conversation, which I don't know very many married women with children who would just immediately react any differently than Corey. Most of us would probably react with even more emotion than she did, but just the idea of giving up that security and that place to raise your family and not really even knowing where you're going to end up. And yet she began to pray every day that God would allow her to see the house not as belonging to them, but as belonging to him. And they both began to pray together, Lord, if this is your means of providing these pocket Bibles, make us willing, do a small miracle in our hearts that we would be willing to give that up. And so finally, they both came to that place where they said, Lord, this house is yours, it's not ours. They got an appraisal on the house and the land and it came to almost the exact amount that they needed for the pocket Bibles. And it was the confirmation they needed. They took the step forward of telling the printer to start getting the plates ready for the pocket Bibles. And he said, said in the book that when they made that decision, they took that step forward to say, yes, we're moving forward with these Bibles. They went to bed in a happier, more positive frame of mind than they had been for months. They knew they were in the perfect will of God. And just Corey's willingness to say, Lord, I don't know where you're taking us. And I have a husband and some young children and a baby on the way, but I am willing even to give up this house that the gospel could reach these people who desperately need it. And once they made that decision, it was just about a week after they had listed their house that they got a phone call from the Dutch Bible Society, and they made a proposal to Brother Andrew and his ministry that they would help fund the cost of the Bibles, and it made it possible for Corey and Andrew to stay in their house and also get the Bibles printed. So it was kind of like one of those Abraham and Isaac tests, it feels like, where they came to that place of totally laying their house on the altar and saying, Lord, we're not holding anything back. We know you've called us to get these Bibles into this country. We will put everything we have on the line to say yes to that calling. And then God had a ram in the thicket. 
And the takeaway for me in that story is that God takes care of us when we lay everything on the altar, when we hold nothing back, when we say, Lord, all that I have is yours, we can't go wrong because God will take care of us and he will supply for us and meet all of our needs in a measure that is exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. In the book, God's Smuggler, Brother Andrew writes how faithful God is, how utterly trustworthy, how good beyond imagining. He asked for so little in order to give us so much. The next couple is Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. Now, Sabina Wormbrand is someone that I've talked about on this podcast before, but it's really worth repeating in the sense of a couple that made a huge impact for the gospel. And there's a movie that came out a few years ago about her life called Sabina, and it's definitely worth watching. Just her willingness to allow the love of Christ to shine through her in horrific situations and win people to the gospel because of the love of Christ shining through her. But one of the moments in Richard and Sabina's story that always just challenges me and reminds me to always keep Christ as my highest priority was when they were at a pastor's convention. And it was during a time they lived in Romania and he was a pastor. She was a pastor's wife. And it was during the time when communists were taking over their country and they were promoting a communist agenda, even through churches and pulpits. And they were sitting in this pastor's convention and one by one, each pastor was getting up and speaking lies in the name of Christ, in the name of the gospel because the communist officials were sitting in the front row and they were going to arrest anyone who didn't cooperate. But Sabina could not handle this. She was just so heartbroken over what they were doing to the name of Jesus. And this is an excerpt from her book. It was as if they spat in Christ's face. I could feel that Richard was boiling. So I told him what was already in his heart and said, will you not wash the shame from the face of Christ? Richard knew what would happen. If I speak, you will lose a husband. At once, I replied, it was not by my courage, but given to me by God for the moment. I don't need a coward for a husband. Richard sent up his card. And he spoke that day. He caused an amazing stir. He awakened the church to what they were allowing to take over, all the lies that they were allowing to take over. And shortly after that event, he was arrested and put into prison. And he did not see Sabina for over 10 years. And the suffering that they both went to was really incredible, extraordinary, that they had such grace to endure and be so triumphant through their suffering. They both went through tremendous suffering over the next 10 years. And one of the things that stands out to me so much is how beautiful their love story remained, even though they didn't know if the other person was even alive anymore. And there was a time during that separation where Sabina had been told that her husband was dead and yet she was remaining faithful to him. She had no real confirmation, just rumor that he was dead. And a godly man showed interest in her and wanted to marry her and take care of her. And she remained faithful to Richard. And finally, after years and years and years, he was able to get a letter to her, but it was only a few lines because they would only let him write a few lines and they would read everything that he wrote. So he wrote this, time and distance quench a small love, but make a great love grow stronger. Miraculously, he was released after 10 years and they escaped to another country where they began their ministry, The Voice of the Martyrs, and just their story, but especially their love story was tremendous because we so often think, you know, we need to have romantic getaways and flowers and chocolates and love notes to keep a romance alive. But what Richard and Sabina had was something deeper. They had Christ in his rightful place and they were even willing to give up comforts and happiness on this earth and the security 
purity of being around each other, being with each other for the glory of God. And he honored that. And they were just as strongly in love once they were reunited as they ever were before. And one thing I've often said when I tell that story is if you want a remarkable human love story, surrender your romantic dreams to Christ. It's abandonment to Christ, not a cute little home with a white picket fence. That's what's going to make a romance truly beautiful and lasting. A lot of us have it backwards. We seek to fulfill our personal dreams and ideals, and then we try to add on a commitment to Jesus, but he's jealous for that first place in our lives. And Richard and Sabina's story shows that God has a tremendous purpose for marriage. It goes far beyond the fairy tale ideals of our childhood dreams, all those books maybe we grew up with. But when his glory is our greatest desire, we can be sure that our marriages will shine with a beauty that no earthly circumstance can ever take away. And the takeaway from this story, there's so many aspects to their story that I find so inspiring, but really the takeaway can be this, unexpected beauty and fulfillment are found when we make Christ our all in all. And that is true whether we're married or single. We cannot go wrong when we put him in his rightful place. And the last couple I want to highlight is Don and Carol Richardson. They were missionaries to a very remote part of New Guinea in the 60s, and this was during a time when they had just discovered all of these unreached tribes deep in the jungles that were completely cut off from the outside world. And as a young couple, they went to this Bible training college called Prairie Bible Institute and A man came one day and spoke about the need to go into the interior of New Guinea, basically risk their lives to bring the gospel where it had never been before. And both of them felt their hearts stirring. And that was before they were even married. But they were married and they decided that their life's calling was to go and bring the gospel into these unreached tribes. They knew it was very dangerous. And there had been missionaries already that had been martyred by these tribes because these tribes were very, very demonically controlled. They were not civilized. They valued betrayal trail and barbaric behavior and they were cannibals and headhunters. And so just imagine, you know, as Canadian or American Christians going into that type of environment. And by the time they got to the tribe that they felt called to, they had a young baby and he was a few months old. So just imagine the grace of God that you would need to go into a dangerous foreign culture among unpredictable people and to bring your new baby as well. Don Richardson wrote a book called Peace Child where their story is captured, but I'm really just amazed at the unity that they had and the excitement that they had to go where nobody else wanted to go. And that's one of the things that I often say is if you want to know whether God is shaping the desires of your heart oftentimes it's because he's giving you desires that nobody else understands. Nobody else has that desire. And that's because God is putting his desires in your heart and going to the Sawi people in interior New Guinea, these cannibals and headhunters and violent people and taking your new child there, that is a desire only God can put in someone's heart. But an excerpt from the book, Peace Child says this, where Don writes, whatever destiny awaited us among the Sawi, Stephen would be there to share it. And that's their firstborn son for better or for worse. We were sure it would be for the better. Our confidence in God was running at a high level and getting higher. Exhilarated with a buoyant spirit of trust, we never seriously considered that some dread disease of the swamps might steal the blush of health from our baby's cheeks or that any other danger might seriously threaten us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Was the watchword that uplifted us night and day. 
And then in the book, Dawn describes the first time that they went to live among the Sawi tribe. Now, these were people who didn't wear any clothing. They walked around with nine-foot spears. They had face paint on. They killed people all the time. They had skulls of people that they had killed decorating their homes a lot of the time. So this is going to be where they are living and raising their son and seeking to bring the gospel. They also really didn't speak the language. And they're out in the remote part of the jungle, and it's not very easy to get back to civilization. You have to take a canoe and, you know, go on all these rivers just to get to a place where you can fly out. So this is a place where you would be completely dependent on God. And the moment where they first came to their new home is really astounding to me. And here's the excerpt from The Peace Child. Men were crowding closer as dusk fell. He was talking about how they both stepped out of the canoe into Sawi territory. I handed Stephen to Carol so that my arms might be free to clear a way through the crowd toward our home, still 50 yards distant. The warriors, however, were now so packed tightly around us that it was impossible to move. We could do nothing but submit to their will and stand waiting. Suddenly, the suppressed whispering around us began to swell into a cry of Isa, Isa. From behind me, a loud voice shrieked a high-pitched command, a signal. For what? Carol's gaze met mine while Stephen quickly searched both of our faces. Her clear blue eyes were still radiant and trustful, without even the slightest suggestion of why have you brought us here? Seeing her look, Stephen relaxed against her shoulder, and I knew as before that I had chosen the right woman. And I love that anecdote that he writes in the book that he had chosen the right woman, someone who can be totally trusting of God in this unpredictable of a situation. That is someone who is fully surrendered to his will. And then he goes on, the test was not over yet, however. Triggered by the loud signal, a heavy drumbeat exploded around us, making us shudder. Carol was awed and excited, but her face revealed no trace of anxiety. Peering through the crowd, I saw one of the drums, and then he goes on to describe that it was this exotic ancestral design speckled with human blood. So just the horror of walking into a place where that is normal. And he said the otherness of the Sawi. Gradually, the drummers synchronized their rhythms into a steady, booming thunder, whereupon the entire host erupted in a paradox of wild shouting, leaping in the air, jabbing their spears up and down. Standing at the heart of the tumult, we studied the wildly animated faces of the celebrants, awed by the fierce intensity of their emotion, their absolute involvement in the meaning of the moment. Presently, the shouting became chanting and the leaping gave way to dancing. Wave after wave of warriors swirled closer to engulf us. It's like a baptism, I thought, a baptism of primitive spirit, of strangeness. Suddenly, in the blue glow of twilight, a presence stronger than the presence of the multitude enveloped us. The same presence that had first drawn us to trust in Christ and then wooed us across continents and oceans to this very jungle clearing. Before that presence, every superficial thought and feeling fled away, and I felt a deep pro go through my motives. Missionary God was asking, why are you here? It was a question I had often fielded from the lips of unbelievers. Now my Lord was asking it, and there was no escape from the question. The eyes of every Sawi seemed to ask the question too. It was clear now as we looked down into the upturned faces of the warriors that they had not intended to frighten us. They carried their spears in the same way a military honor guard carries their bayonets. Every motion, every dab of paint, and every cadence of sound was for our pleasure to welcome us. The Kaigar made their way through the crowd with our supplies, and the Kaigar were those that carried their supplies and canoed them to the Sawi. I took a flashlight from one pack and led the way to the house, Carol following with wide-eyed Stephen. Seeing us enter, the Sawi began to dance slowly around our dwelling until they surrounded it on all sides. The tumult of voices, drums, and stamping feet seemed about to break in through the thin walls of the small home. 
Together, we surveyed the interior of our new residence by flashlight. Around our feet, scores of black crickets scurried to hide from the beam, while overhead, a large green tree frog with bulging eyes leaped frantically from rafter to rafter. But the frog's eyes were not the only ones watching us. Turning, I saw that a number of the dancers had left the singing and crowded onto our porch to stare at us through the window screen. And then he goes on to describe their first night there. But just to imagine a young couple with a new baby, and this is where they're going to live and to raise their children, to bring the gospel to these people, the absolute dependence that we have to have on God in a situation like that is truly staggering. And I'm very inspired by the fact that they trusted him to that level. And even as they were being baptized in strangeness, as Don Richardson described it, they had a presence with them stronger than the presence of the multitude. They knew they were in the hollow of his hand. And they had to be both in complete unity to take that step forward. I feel like the takeaway of this story is that God shapes the desires of our hearts. I've talked about Psalm 37, 4 on this podcast. When we delight in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. That doesn't mean he gives us just what we want. It means he shapes the desires of our hearts to fulfill them in his own time and way. And this was actually a dream come true for Don and Carol, even though to most of us, it would be a nightmare to find ourselves in that situation. God shapes the desires of our hearts when we fully trust in him. And God did such a miracle through their ministry and their willingness to go where other people were not able to go. And the gospel transformed that culture through them. So these are three stories of unique couples. Again, as I've talked about in this series, there's nothing unusual or unique specific to these people other than the fact that they totally laid everything on the altar before God, and they made themselves unconditionally available to Christ. They didn't do anything that the rest of us don't also have the grace and the ability to do. And if we're not willing right at this moment to say, Lord, I give you my house, I give you my family, I give you my marriage, I lay it all down in order to follow you, we can begin to pray that God would do a miracle in our hearts and make us willing. Because living from that place of total surrender is the way that God can truly impact this world through us. And it is the way that we begin to see the faithfulness and the miracles of God in our day-to-day life. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into living a set-apart life for Christ, I invite you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.